Okay, I'll move it closer. Erev Tov, everyone. <clears throat> the opening words uh, of Yehuda to Yosef, whom he at that moment does not yet realize that it is Yosef whom he is talking to. I want to say a few words into the ears because you were just like Paro. It's a very strange uh, statement. What does he mean by that? And uh, there is uh, really, uh, I saw at least uh, a dozen different uh, streams of interpretation as to what is involved here. Now, we all know Shivim Panim La Torah. The Torah has 70 different facets to it. It's like a diamond that if you hold it up to the light and you turn it, every time you turn it, there's a different shine to it. So the Torah also has many, many layers to it. Some of which are literal and many of which are not meant to be literal. But the moral lesson is certainly present so that we can absorb it. So first he said, Adoni. He wants this to be a private conversation. Yosef has all of his courtiers present because he will say later, <clears throat> when he wants to reveal himself to the brothers, he will say everybody else should leave. And we know that uh, all royal courts have uh, always hangers on. They always have people there. And the Egyptian court was no exception. But Yehuda wants to speak to Yosef directly. And therefore he says, I want to speak to you privately. I want to speak into your ears. You should hear me. And the Mephoshim say that in this, he saw a way out for Yosef, for the Viceroy, that he would not have to publicly retract what he said, that whoever had the cup would die, would be executed. So if it's a public... uh, statement here he can't back down from it but if it's private so then maybe you can uh, prevail upon him uh, to uh, soften the degree 
there's another aspect to the fact that he wanted a private conversation with him. The Midrashim say that the brothers all sense that something is going on here. The events are too strange. Everything that's happened to them in Mitzrayim. We had Yosef uh, uh, my mouth has spoken to you. So the Rashi says that he spoke to them in Hebrew. Even though before it says that there was an interpreter between them. And how was it that he was able to speak Hebrew? I saw an interesting shot from uh, a Sephardic uh, Gone that said that uh, they noticed when he spoke Egyptian that it was with a Hebrew accent, right? Because he's uh, he didn't come to Egypt as a baby. So we all know from our own experience, if we came from somewhere else here at the Eretz Israel and we speak Hebrew, and no matter how perfect the Hebrew that we speak, everybody recognizes that we're not so to speak, native. So they recognize something here. Something is strange. The only thing is they really don't want to confront it to its logical conclusion that it's their brother Yosef that is the viceroy and that his dreams have been realized and that they were wrong and he was right. But they suspect that something is happening here. And therefore, he wants to speak to him privately because he really wants to, uh, so to speak, uh, feel the matter out. He's sensitive to what's going on here. There's one stream that he's going to threaten Yosef. There's a medrash that says, you know who we are? Two of us uh, destroyed the city of Shem by ourselves. We'll take care of Egypt for you. Doesn't pay for you to start up with us. So that threat has to be issued also, so to speak, privately not to provoke the Egyptian court. And uh, the, the entire scene is surreal here. And why should the Viceroy of Egypt be willing to have a private conversation with someone who he's accusing of being a traitor, a thief, uh, you know, represents... Uh, everything that's inimical to the power of Egypt, or what is he having a conversation with him? Now, all of this is alluded to by uh, his statement uh, that uh, I want to speak to you privately. The second thing that he says to him is, Kikomocho Kifaro. 
you're like Paro. There's a double entendre here. You can interpret it in many different ways. Medrash says, you're like Paro. Paro's a Russia. Paro's a fool. Paro's a tyrant. So that's just who you are too. So don't pretend any moral superiority over us. He said to them, how did you steal? Uh, you know, I did you, I, I had you for lunch and you steal my cup. So Yehuda's telling him, listen, don't, don't, uh, don't profit Sitkis here. Don't say, uh, we're, I'm so holy. You're just like Paro. Parolis doesn't tell the truth. You don't tell the truth. The Medrash lists a whole bunch of insults that uh, almost automatically apply to any political leader because that's the nature of the game. Tell the truth, you'll never get there anywhere. So that's one idea of Gichamocha Kafaro. The second idea that the Medrash also discusses is Paro showed a benevolence. Somehow, everybody knows how you got this job. You yourself were a prisoner. You yourself were in jail. And Paro showed benevolence to you. You interpreted a dream, so because of that, he made you the viceroy. So, just like Paro showed benevolence to you, Kichamocha Kafaro, you have the power within you to show benevolence to others. And that this is the time to do it. So Kamocha Kafaro is not an insult now. It's a compliment. I'm raising a point of goodness. And then there's a third idea that the Medrash discusses. You're Paro, you can do whatever you want in the ancient world at least, even through the Middle Ages, there was no question about the divine right of kings. No matter how one achieved the kingship, and nevertheless, once it was achieved, it was held that in heaven they wanted him to have the power. So you're accountable to no one. You're only accountable to your own conscience and to heaven. So Kikamocha Kafaro, even though you're only the viceroy, even though you're only the second in command, but nevertheless, Paro, he gave you the ring and everything. You're just like Paro. You have it within you. So therefore, if you pardon us, that will not be a problem. And that that is implied also in Kichamocha Kafaro. 
And finally, uh, the Medrash says, a different sort of threat, uh, insult. Yehuda says to him, uh, you know, we have dealt with kings before. Avram dealt with Avimelech. And uh, Yaakov, uh, Yitzchak dealt with Avimelech. And Yaakov deals with Esau. They deal, we've been around the block already. We're well aware of how power works. And we're not intimidated by it. And we're not willing to give in to it. So you're like Parotas, right? We'll survive you too. Uh, so to speak, a, uh, the old uh, Jewish joke. You know, that the, uh, the man came home and told his wife that the Mashiach is coming. She should pack their bags and get ready. They have to go. So she said, we can't go because next week we're invited out somewhere. So he said, but I'm telling you, Mashiach is coming. So she told them, listen, we survived home and we'll survive the Mashiach too. So in that lies a kernel of Jewish thought. That's the Posigan to heal him that David Amalek said, Loma Rog Shugoi, Lumim Yagurik. What's the whole world so nervous about? We'll survive it all. Well, naturally, there's a price in surviving. And the price is not cheap. But in the ultimate, that's what Yudah is telling Yosef. So you're just like Paro, you know, we'll survive Paro too, and not this Paro, the next Paro. We have within ourselves that ability to handle the situation. So in this uh, cryptic uh, posic that really uh, is strange, doesn't fit anywhere. Uh, the Medrash uh, read into it many, many different ideas. So whether or not Yehuda meant all of those things or he said all of those things to uh, Yosef is not the point. The point is the moral lesson that we are to derive from it. And therefore, that's why the Posig remains as written. And because of that, it can be interpreted since the Torah is eternal. So it has the ability to be interpreted in an eternal fashion for all generations and all circumstances as well. Thank you.